One, two, three. Welcome to Highest Potential with Dr. Steve Pettit, a podcast that explores the many ways Bob Jones University is advancing God's kingdom through Christian education with the biblical worldview. I'm Daniel Lehman, a current student at BJU and co-host for this podcast. We're so glad you're with us today on Highest Potential. It's been a while since we have met. Uh, We got through our graduation at Bob Jones University, and then uh, my wife and I were gone out of the country for a few weeks. But we are back in the office here in in the month of June here in the beautiful city of Greenville, South Carolina. And I'll tell you, it has been extremely hot down here. It is definitely summer in the South. And today we have with us in my office Dr. Chris Anderson. Chris, good to see you. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm excited uh, to talk about uh, your most recent book that you've just published. And uh, let me just kind of uh, give a little bit of an intro about Chris, if I could, a little bio. Uh, Chris grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, He was a church planner, graduated from Bob Jones University. What year did you finish? Uh, 94 and then seminary in 97. 94, 97. And during that time, uh, as a church planner, he started a music company called Church Church Works Media. And many of you know that he is also a prolific hymn writer. His most famous hymn is entitled His Robes for Mine, and it's in many different hymnals and is translated in many different languages around the world. He's also also been an author uh, where he wrote um, smaller books, uh, on meditations, what yeah, were the, the series were, were series called? called gospel meditations. There'd be gospel meditations for women, for men, eventually for the hurting or missions. And I think, I think we have ten or eleven of those now. Yeah, and, those are uh, thirty-one day devotionals. Yeah, they've, they've been very well received. We're grateful for that. So obviously, somewhere in your life, you started to enjoy writing. Yeah, I'm a I'm a writer. I I joke. I would preach a sermon, and if I could make it rhyme, it would be a hymn. If I couldn't make it rhyme, it would be a gospel meditation devotional. Okay. But, uh, so yeah, just things God has taught me, and never had any idea that the Lord would allow them to be used in print or songs or what. But well, and and it's not you know as we know understand history that uh, uh, preachers were writers because they wanted people in the church to be influenced not just by the pulpit but by the print. Right. And so uh, we appreciate the work that you've done there. And then also uh, you have uh, not only written the, the gospel meditations, but a few years ago you wrote a biography on the one of the iconic uh, teachers here at, at Bob Jones University, Dr. Ed Panosian. And that book just came out of a, a relationship you had with him. Yeah, he had... Uh... He had preached at our church in Atlanta or, or spoken during the... Uh the church history, uh, first-person narratives. And he did it in um, 2017 for the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And I was driving him home uh, two and a half hours and just asking him about the history of his family and just talking. And um, and that conversation turned into a book idea. And, um, of course, when he went to be with the Lord, um, I'm just very grateful that we kind of captured the story when he was able to give it. So, yeah, it was amazing. And, yeah, of course, really he was an that. amazing man. And he taught more students at Bob Jones University than any other professor in the history of the school, yeah. which we are now in our 96th year. So everybody knew Dr. Panosian. Amazing, amazing 
Man. So for you, you've been, of course, involved in pastoring and hymn writing and so forth, and now books. And you, for the last number of years, were pastoring in Atlanta at the Killian Hill Baptist Church. How long were you pastoring there? I uh, pastored there for nine years. Nine years. And then I just transitioned to, uh, I kind of do recruiting or mobilization for biblical ministries worldwide. It's a faith-based mission organization. We have missionaries, you know, all over the world. And um, my last few years at Killian Hill, the church sent, you know, 10-plus mission families, or families from the church that transitioned to the mission field. Wow. Or to pastoral ministry, just, just kind of a unique time. And um, I would say what I most enjoyed about pastoring, besides preaching, was casting a vision for missions. And um, the Lord opened an opportunity for me to do that full time. So if I could try to duplicate what God did at Killian Hill, if I can encourage other churches to have a vision, not just to collect people, um, but to train and then deploy people. Sometimes success in a church means that we get smaller. And um, that's, that's not a typical American way of thinking. We always want bigger, more buildings. But um, some of our best people now are serving the Lord in the South Pacific or they're headed to Africa or Nepal um, or church planning out west. And um, so that part of ministry is now what God's called me to do with BMW, uh, at least for this season. So I'm enjoying that. Yeah, so it's not so much staying in the church but going out. Right. And moving on. Well, I, I compare it to parenting. If I said, uh, I'm such a great dad that my kids are still going to live with me when they're 40, you'd say, oh, that's kind of twisted. You know, a, a dad should be getting them ready to launch out on their own. And uh, so my family went from two to three to four to five to six, then to five and then to four. And uh, and if churches had that mindset, I think it's a New Testament mindset, especially like the church at Antioch became a sending church, mm-hmm. actually sent you know, they're, they're core leaders uh, to go out and do missions. So um, to, to try to encourage churches, uh, one author has said, you know, you measure a church by its sending capacity, not its seating capacity. And, uh, you know, I like that idea. We needed those people at Killian Hill, but not as much as the dark places in the world with no gospel light needed them. So. Yeah. That's wonderful. Send them somewhere else. Yeah. That's great. It's been great. So uh, we're, we're going to talk today a little bit about this uh, most recent book that you published entitled Theology That Sticks. So kind of give us a big picture overview of the book. Okay. Uh, Theology That Sticks, the um, subtitle is The Life-Changing Power of Exceptional Hymns. Uh, Steve, you and I are both preachers, and we know throughout Scripture, you know, the power of preaching uh, is, is crucial to the health of the church. But I would, I would say preaching doesn't stick, not in the same way music does. Um, I ask people, you know, tell me your favorite two or three sentences that you've ever heard from a sermon. And nobody can remember a sermon, mm-hmm. you know, not verbatim. Um, but you start talking about hymns, um, you know, the hymns of Isaac Watts or Charles Wesley or, you know, now it might be um, the Gettys. People remember those. They can recite in Christ alone verbatim. Um, it's theology that sticks. It sticks in your memory. Um, part of that is because of rhythm and rhyme and you know meter and melody. We sing it together as a church. Um, so I guess my contention is that that we should give as much um, thought to the songs we sing as to our sermons. 
because most likely people will forget most of our sermons, mm-hmm. but they're going to remember those songs. And if we're singing, you know, great biblical doctrinal songs, then we're we're teaching people sound theology. And if we're singing trite songs, we're teaching them bad theology. Right. So what we sing matters a lot. And I, I, I'm sure you've thought of this uh, because you've written many, many hymns, and I've been privileged to do a couple. Um, it, it's 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 the two neat things about a hymn if you're a writer. Number one, it's probably the closest thing any human can do today to get as close to writing Scripture that's not Scripture. In other words, you're really not, obviously you're not writing under sure. inspiration, but you're writing something that is as close to having that level of impact because of the nature of, of hymn, hymnology. Right. And then, and then especially if you don't write the tune and somebody else does it, it's suddenly whoever writes the tune for you creates, it's almost like you've created a whole life yeah. when, that, when that hymn comes alive with a tune. Well, and, you know, when, when you and I are with the Lord, um, we're probably not going to have many people quoting our sermons. Right. But there might be people singing, you know, some of the songs that we wrote. Right. And um, and songs just have a sticking power. And, you know, you can remember hundreds of songs. You can remember, you know, radio songs that you heard when you were 10. Jingles. They're in your head, you know. Or even you see um, somebody that has Alzheimer's disease. They can't recall their children or faces or names or events. They start hearing a hymn and the clouds part and they can sing it, you know. So it's cool. So hymns are powerful. And, um, and then, you know, as a church, this isn't only about church music, but in church, you sing maybe five hymns a week, um, out of literally hundreds of thousands, maybe, you know, over a million, um, hymns that are available to us in English. If you can only sing five, then then sing some truly excellent songs, mm. you know, not just because it's traditional um, or, you know, a favorite of your grandmother and, and not just because it's on Christian radio or it has a catchy melody. You know, we, we need to think a little bit more intentionally about the songs mm. we sing and um, even, excuse me, even beyond church life, um, you know, the songs that you're playing in the radio and, and in the house or as you're jogging kind of become the soundtrack of your life. And, and you can really feed your soul on Bible truth, or you can kind of waste that time. So, right. So the whole book is music is theology that sticks. And um, I try to you know begin the book by saying how important it is and give some examples of that. But then throughout the rest of the book, kind of form a, uh, a grid for, okay, so how do you choose um, exceptional songs? And it's not an angry book. It's not primarily about you know, contemporary versus traditional, or um, most of the focus is on the text. Um, you know, we I lean into Colossians 3.16, um, so let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, and so on. So our songs should be intentionally biblical. Right. Um, they should be doctrinal. They should be Christian. It's not just let the word of God dwell in you, but the word of Christ. Right. So we want to sing songs that are so uniquely Christian that an unbeliever couldn't sing it in good conscience. Right. You know, it's not just general theism. Um, even kids' songs. You know, you you can teach your kids Father Abraham or the Lord's Army. That's fun. 
it's a lot different than teaching them the gospel song. Um, you know, they can learn kid songs that really have some good meaty truth in them. Right. So, um, so tell us, how, tell me how you got into it. How, what, what, you know, writing a book is a pretty good commitment. So, uh, th- there has to be a high level of motivation. Yeah. And I, I don't think money is the motivation. No, yeah. I, it's not a very, not a very smart one anyway. Um, I would say I love, I love Christian music. I love hymns. Um, my heroes are Isaac Watts, Charles Wesley. And, um, I've been asked maybe because I'm a, a pastor and a hymn writer, I've been asked to speak on the topic, um, at conferences and things. So a few years ago, um, spoke at a conference in Atlanta, the G3 conference shortly thereafter, I spoke at a majesty music conference on, um, how to choose exceptional hymns. And I just enjoyed it. So I kind of leaned into it, wanted to write a book on it. Um, I got stranded on the campus of BJU uh, for a couple days with a car that broke down and um, just went to the library and kind of, you know, intensified my research. Um, The book has a ton of quotes and it's not, you know, again, it's not intended to be kind of a controversial, angry book. I want it to be uplifting and enjoyable. But um, there are so many people who have written about Christian music over the years, so trying to kind of um, take advantage of their insights. And I was doing that um, for my own edification, for preparation to share with other people. And at the time, I was also working on a doctoral degree, and um, I needed a dissertation topic and had chosen one. And then the more I leaned into this, I asked my uh, my academic advisor if I could use this work for my dissertation. And um, and I got the green light to do that. So uh, kind of served a dual purpose. There's an academic level uh, at the dissertation. Then I was able to repurpose that for a more popular audience. And um, I guess I just, I love Christian music. And some of it's old hymns, some of it's, you know, new songs, gospel songs, praise choruses. You know, in my childhood, it would be, there was a Salty, the hymnal, or Patch the Pirate, you know, pretty eclectic, but um, but I want my kids and I I want other Christians to know the value of music, mm. um, just to feed their own souls. And not only Colossians three sixteen, Ephesians five nineteen, but we have the Psalms tell us what worship should look like. Um, you know, the, the emotion of it, the celebratory nature, the you know, some of it's very joyful, some of it's very sorrowful. Right. The Bible tells us what our music should look like. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, absolutely. And, you know, so, sometimes I feel like we, we talk about gray areas where the Bible's not so clear, but there are so many issues um, when it comes to our, our worship and music that the Bible is crystal clear. Right. And um, I, I looked on Sermon Audio, where there's, you know, a million, I think, a uh, ton of sermons. What a great resource. But if you look up, up the topic of worship, um, feels like half of the sermons are a call to arms instead mm-hmm. of a call to prayer. Worship should not be a, to- a topic that is primarily something we fight about. Right. You know, we come and humble ourselves before our Creator, our Redeemer, and uh, it's a great place. Actually, it should Christian music should be the source of unity, mm-hmm. um, not discord. Right. You know, the very nature of singing together, you have to listen to each other. Mm. And um, what other church activity do you have toddlers joining with 90-year-olds? Right. You know, there's not many aspects of church life that are that 
transgenerational. And then you have people that have a lot of musical ability, some have none, high voices, low voices, but music allows us to affirm our faith together. Everybody, everybody sounds good in congregational singing. Everybody. Everybody sounds good. Yeah, exactly. So can you give me uh, just a, sort of a brief uh, overview of the book and your approach? Because yeah. is, it, is, it, is it just about different hymns, or is it the, how to write a hymn, or is it what makes a good hymn? It's primarily um, trying to use a biblical model for what a great hymn should look like. So the first half uses Colossians 3.16, and uh, I'll read chapter titles. Um, we should sing songs that are biblical. We should sing songs that are doctrinal, that are Christian, that are Trinitarian. Um, most hymnals have 100 songs about the Father, 200 songs about the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, 200 songs about Jesus, and maybe five on the Holy Spirit. The um, Comforter has come. Yeah, but and that's about it. Yeah. You know, or uh, breathe on me, breath of God, or Spirit of God, descend yeah. on my heart. But there's not many. Um, we should sing songs that are congregational. That's a big part of the book. Is um, there's songs I really enjoy that don't sing well for a congregation. Correct. And um, so this is primarily. It's not so much about um, about you know music you listen to or performance music. Uh, it's primarily about hymns, which is ChurchWorks Media. We're intentionally trying to write hymns. Um, the second half of the book goes through the Psalms and says that we should sing songs that are inspired. That is, we should sing the Psalms. Mm -hmm. We're commanded to. Um, if you're not singing the Psalms with some regularity, I think you're sinning. You're not obeying Scripture. Um, beyond that, they should be diverse. They should be emotive. Um, the Bible talks about worship that is very joyful mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes very mournful. Yeah. Um, if I we follow the example of the Psalms, I mean, there is a, a jubilation that is pretty foreign to us. Right. You know, we call ourselves biblicists, but... Um, shout unto God. The, the yeah. shout and the clap and the, you know, just the, the high emotion, the, um, you know, the, the different instrumentation. Well, um, then, and, and I often think, what is a third of the Psalms are lamentations? So yeah. I have a hard time thinking that they're they're all in major keys, right? And I think, I think, when we don't sing um, songs that lament, you know, and it might be it might be a gospel song like "Does Jesus Care" or right. "All Your Anxiety," um, you know. In the last several years, the last five years, everybody has loved. Um, the Peterson song, Is He Worthy? Mm. Well, there's a lot of lament in that. Mm. You know, the very first line is, do you feel the world is broken? Is all creation groaning? And um, I argue in the book that if we only sing happy songs, you know, and now I am happy all the day, it's not true. And it makes people think that there's some disconnect between the reality of their life and their experience and their confusion and brokenheartedness, and then they come to church and kind of fake it, or that God just, you know, doesn't deal with the reality, the grittiness of, of mm -hmm. life and, and their hurt. And um, if we would sing songs like the Psalms, we would sing more sorrowful songs. Right. Not right. hopeless, right. But, but sorrowful. You know, like uh, Ron Hamilton, uh, you know, Rejoice in the Lord. There's, there's a dark side to that. Sure. But still a defiant hope. Sure. So, um, then, you know, we should sing songs that are beautiful, that, that focus primarily on God. And so it gives that grid. But then 
It has discussion questions, so it can be used for Sunday school groups or small groups, Bible studies. In the back, there's a bunch of appendices that have, uh, the first one just has hundreds of quotations that I found to be particularly helpful um, from a variety of, you know, it might be Spurgeon. There's a lot of Luther in here. Luther is really the champion of congregational singing. Uh, before the Reformation, um, most hymns or most songs were in Latin, not in the vernacular of the people, and they mm -hmm. were sung by the clergy. Right. So you had a silent church. And now uh, Luther comes and he says, I'm going to give the Germans a Bible and I'm going to give them a hymnal. And uh, I want the lady singing. In fact, there's, there's German hymnals that they're actually titled like Hymns for the Laity. This is for everybody to sing. Um, and there are church historians that would argue that a lot of the, um, the energy of the Reformation came from Luther's hymns, not, not only the ones he wrote, but once he organized. So many Germans were um, illiterate. So even if they had a Bible, they might not be able to read it, but they could memorize songs, mm -hmm. memorize the doctrine of the songs and, and carry it with them. And... Um, you know, sadly today, for a lot of churches, um, worship has become kind of a spectator event again. Mm -hmm. So instead of focusing on congregational singing, you know, you can have maybe a band and people stand and just listen to the band. But it can also happen with an orchestra or, you know, an overbearing sure. organ. Um, you know, the, the best music of the church is congregational singing. Right. So solos are great, choirs are great. But congregational music is key. And um, so this goes through, you know, some of those discussions. And then it gives some tips. If you want to try writing hymns, here's, you know, a process I use. It gives some uh, tips for those who are leading worship or for musicians or for tech people and tries to give just some, uh, you know, kind of very practical advice how to do this better. So what's the best way to get your book? Um, honestly, the best place to get the book is Amazon. Okay. They'll have it to you in two days. Um, you know, it's easy that way. They can order from churchworksmedia.com. Um, and especially if they're going to do quantity, we have bulk discounts, yeah. stuff like that. So they can get it from our website or the book has its own site, theologythatsticks.com. Um, but it's on Amazon. Uh, it's coming on Kindle and it'll be in a variety of formats. Um, the book has been really well received by reviewers from, you know, uh, kind of across the spectrum, um, some more conservative, some less, but agree on the importance of music. But, um, you know, we need to let people know that it's there. It's kind of like the tree that falls in the woods. We right. we want people to know that right. it's it's out there. So, um, you know, praying the Lord will use it to encourage his people about the importance of music and hopefully something that they read that um, will be kind of spiritually uplifting, encouraging, fun, there's some funny stories. There's a lot of hymn stories. Um, I think it's not just a book for pastors. Right. You know, it's a book for Christians. So, uh, yeah, I hope it will be helpful for them. So Theology That Sticks, Chris Anderson, you can get it on Amazon.com or ChurchWorks Media. Uh, I'm sure we'll have it here in the bookstore of Bob Jones University, or you can get it by Kindle. So uh, I hope you'll take the opportunity to get the book uh, because it's available now. Chris, thanks for your time. Well, thank you, and, and um, thank you for championing um, gospel-saturated music for the last couple decades. You've been a blessing Well, thank way. you, brothers. It's, it's our privilege and excited to see what God's going to do even here through our student body. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Highest Potential with Dr. Steve Pettit. Don't forget to find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.